This is Coder Radio, episode 409 for April 12th, 2021. Hey there, this is Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and the world of technology. And of course, this episode is brought to you by CloudGuru. CloudGuru now has that cloud playground. Azure, AWS, or Google Cloud sandboxes on ACG's credit card. Not yours. Get certified, get hired, get learning at a cloudguru.com. My name is Chris, and our very own Florida man, who truly has his heart in New Jersey, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. You know, I was in the coming hot with the Jar Jar, but you got me on that one. I did. Yeah. I thought about it today. I thought, you know, you, you've been in Florida for a few years now, but you're, you're a Jersey guy through and through, you know. This is sort of like the Yoda's fighting Palpatine. He falls and then for inexplicably just gives up when he was winning the entire time. Right. You kind of just ended up in Florida, but your heart's still in Jersey, but you fight the good fight down there, you know, and. Somebody has to keep count of the gators, and that's that's your job. Can I tell you, I saw a 10-foot gator just, like, chilling on somebody's lawn the other day. I'm like, yeah, this is this is not a great place to be. Yeah. Now, when, when animals can eat your dog, I don't think that's where I want to live. I like my dog too much. Or like your kid. I cut it, but then it's like your, but your stomach's in Texas this week. So, you know, I stalk you on the Twitters like I do. And uh, you tweet this picture of a steak breakfast. Like, what is this thing, a T-bone you're eating for breakfast? It was a New York strip, so very on-brand with the New Jersey. <laughs> oh, amazing. Didn't even realize it. Didn't. That's perfect. But so, so this is, you know, once again, what happens. You fall asleep on YouTube. Inevitably, Jordan or Michaela Peterson comes on. Yeah, okay. I was going to mention that you're tweeting, you're tweeting Jordan Peterson's daughter. <laughs> this picture i was like what's going on there like are you being an evil genius and getting like some of her followers to notice your feed or are you actually trying to get her attention <laughs> why not indeed why not <laughs> i think i don't know i think she's uh she's she's probably not on the market but i'm not sure isn't she in canada you'd have to move you'd have to move last i heard they were like he was like in some sort of weird Russian like hospital or like. No, he's back now. He's, he's back. back. Okay. Now. Okay. Yeah. He's got a new book too. So, you know, watch out. You should get in on this book thing, man. These guys, they can just like go MIA for like two years and then they come rolling out with a book. And now everybody's talking about him again because they wrote a book. I wrote a book, you know? You know, I, I was trying to write a book at one point. And I, I guess I just failed to disappear. Is, is that like a necessary step? You just you got to you got to peace out for a bit. You got to be aloof and mysterious, you know, and then if you don't have any strife to write about, you just got to create a bunch of it. <laughs> well, you could I could just read the YouTube comments. I mean, there's uh, there you go. There you go. OK, so remember, let's go back in time for a moment. Let's do a robe, Mike. It's going to be so much fun. Let's do a robe. All right, so I've had to make an executive decision this week. Uh, we had to just decide to move forward and at this point in time, cancel the international robe orders. And I hate to be on air saying that, tried so hard to be able to not have to say that. But with that loss of this battle, I have committed myself to winning this war. And I have eaten my humble pie from this experience. Learned a lot, and um, I'm going to be talking more about what I have figured out. I've done like a whole postmortem on the whole thing and realized where the failures lie. And I'm also entertaining several ideas of how to solve this problem in the future. And I'm going to work towards solving this problem. And it, I will at some point in the future, well, at least I hope, have another batch of robes that I will, I will then – have at that point figured out all the international stuff. And I will either be shipping it directly or I will work with an intermediator party like in the EU and have them act as a local distributor or something. I will figure it out. What would, uh, what was it? Uh, Valerie, Valerie. Uh, I remember the unfilter soundboard. Which one? Hmm. The one with some interesting comments about what to do to the EU. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. What was her name? Uh, yeah, you're right. Victoria Newland. Victoria Newland. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. F the EU was her famous quote. Yeah, I didn't, you know, because we have like a 30, 40 percent outside the U.S. audience, right? It's a significant demographic for us. 
I even got notes from people who said, hey, man, I'll even pay $185 of shipping for a $65 robe. I just want some cool swag for one of my favorite shows. Aww. And when you get notes like that, you're like, wow, okay, I'm, I'm going to figure this out. Like, this is something I really do want to figure out because I want to have all kinds of cool stuff that we can uh, ship out, maybe in small quantities and whatnot. I just ordered my uh, Lup Beerstein. So yeah, so the Beerstein is is sourced through Zazzle, and they have international shipping partners already. Where where it got tricky with the robe is we went with something that no fulfillment center fulfills. Right? If I wanted to do a T-shirt, a cotton T-shirt, or a ball cap, or if I wanted to do a face mask right now, or a mug, or uh, you know a, a mouse pad, I could source that pretty successfully and there's a lot of fulfillment places that that just manage international shipping they have incredibly competitive international shipping uh, rates because they have facilities in those areas and i could fulfill that but i didn't really want to do a you know a cotton t-shirt or a ball cap or a or a a mug for the show because you know i feel like coda radio being around for a while like we're kind of beyond that stuff that's like you know beginner's merch right we're a sophisticated podcast now We've been around for a while, gone through a few losses, come back from it, you know. We're like we're like that couple now who like has gotten back together and we know each other's flaws, but we're still just going to work make it work cuz we're not going to find anybody better. And like we're just now, we're like in it forever. And so it's like, you know, you don't want to have beginner swag, you know, like first relationship stuff. That's embarrassing. Like you want your more sophisticated grown-up stuff now. There's so much here. <laughs> the fact that you're still determined to do this is amazing. I've been watching Battlestar Galactica. Let's just take a, the new one, not the uh, not the '80s one. Uh-huh. And I would say we are more like the exhausted uh, command structure who has the number of survivors behind. You know, uh, President Rosalind has the number of survivors on a whiteboard behind her at all time, and that number is not going um, in a positive direction. Right. So right, right. I, I think you know. I mean, we lost Objective C. Hmm. Uh, you all fail to admit the glory that is the Phantom Menace. Right, right. You continue to insist that uh, KDE is good. And I still cannot change the background on my GNOME desktop without risking tremendous crashes. <laughs> well, listen, uh, all I'm getting from that is you, you're just encouraging breeding within the audience. That's what I'm getting from that statement. I don't really know what to make from that. And that's exactly what I'm saying, because then... <laughs> We can be bold. We can, and we can be very uh, progressive. This is our growth strategy. Mm-hmm. We can indoctrinate them into the Coder Radio program at an early age. Coder Radio diapers, disposable diapers, and we could just do it as a subscription. Oh man! Oh yeah, man! There, see, but diapers, cloths, any of that stuff, you know, formula, anything that's a consumable with the babies, man. That's a whole stage of life that's just prime for making money. You know, anything like that. You know, also we ought to launch a whole pregnancy line of clothing of special swag just for pregnancy. And you know, there's a lot of dads out there that like something a little more comfortable too. So we could have one for the ladies, and like on the stomach, it just says compiling. Yeah. That'd be great. Like, and then for different stages of the, like different trimesters, different progress loading bars, you know, like a whole, it's like a whole set that you buy that gets bigger and bigger as your, as the progress bar increases, the shirt actually gets larger. So it's more comfortable as you're further along. I mean, why has nobody thought of this, man? I'm just saying money on the table. (laughs) I have seen one that's for dad's uh, successful process forked or something. Oh, nice. Yeah. You know, you don't really get into anything if you understand the scope of the task before you start. That's true. For development, for media creation, whatever. Now I have seen the scope of the task, and I think I see a path forward, but I don't know yet. It's the very beginning of my journey. It's humbling. It's been a long time because I've been doing this for a while. It's been a long time where something like this has has gotten me, it's vexed me, and I've had to like, oh, shit, I don't know anything about this, you know? <laughs> I'll get there. I'll get there eventually. Or you will die trying. I, I will, man. I will. I'm going to give it my damned best one way or the other. You know, we have some feedback to get into. I feel like Chuck here is just poking at you. Chuck writes in just for Mike, according to a new report that was released, Objective-C has slid down the popularity rankings yet again, and it's pretty bad. This is, of course, Chuck has sent us the link that we'll have in the show notes. This is according to the Tyobi Index for April 2021, and... Objective-C has now fallen out of the top 20 most popular programming languages as of April. Why would this upset me? This proves that somewhere in hiding, the 
square bracket Jedi Order that is Objective-C developers has survived. Okay. All right. I'm not seeing the connection, but I'm going to let you have it. You know, it's yours. Well, if there are so many people reporting that they're doing Objective-C, unless they're all Coda Radio listeners who've decided it would be, you know, they're doing it like ironically drinking a PBR, that means that somewhere in a, and I can only imagine a kinder land, my brothers and sisters live. They're still going. You're right. You're right. They have not been taken out by the Swift drones. Well, if actually, this might make you feel better. Swift also see, saw a decline in popularity. Good, good. Yeah. It has slid from the 11th place to the 15th place in a year. Not so good. Meanwhile, the snake, Python, continues to gain popularity and uh, continues to see particular growth in the data science and artificial intelligence and machine learning spaces, which I know drives our audience crazy. That seems to be what's driving a lot of its growth. And Visual Basic and JavaScript essentially stayed put in their ranks, coming in at uh, 6th and 7th, respectively. Damn it. PHP in ninth, And uh, SQL as a language in 10th place. So apparently writing SQL is more popular than Objective-C or Swift. Well, yeah, that, that that makes sense to me, though, right? Because SQL, you're going to do a lot of SQL. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're not just writing SQL. You're writing SQL and like insert other language here, right? Yeah. No, that's and it's and like so many things. So I mean, it's the back. It's the back end storage for so much, especially if you're using like an ORM. And at some point, it's like, you know what? There's just such an there's an inefficiency here. And I need to write just like a custom query. Yeah. Or a stored procedure. Oh, yeah. Hey, oh. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get a $100 60-day credit towards your new account and go there to support the show. $100 is real money. Let me, hold on, let me check this. Who authorized this $100? This can't be real. Huh, what's that? It's absolutely real? It's been real for a while? Uh-huh, okay. So they just got to go to Linode.com slash coder. Oh, all right. Well, if you go to Linode.com slash coder, you will get a $100 credit to try out Linode. They're my hosting provider. Been using them for a couple of years now. And once it was the moment to launch JB 3.0 and I realized, holy crap, I'm going to need a lot of infrastructure. It was just obvious to go with Linode. I wouldn't do it any other way. I am absolutely happy a couple of years in. And one of the things I think that's great about Linode is they have a lot of different distros and the various version of those distros to try and use and deploy. And I find that immensely useful when I'm testing and prototyping stuff. I have a project that I'm working on right now. Spoiler alert, it's hosting my own mail server. And I just thought, let's try it out on several different Linode setups and see which which set of packages, which system, which distro works the best for me. So I just set up a few different Linodes and tried it on each one. I took a shot, kind of like just a, a racing, you know, just race to get installed on each one and saw which worked best for me. And I think that's immensely valuable. That's immensely valuable for me. And it also gives me a ton of experience to kind of judge where different distros stand up. And I, I just find that very, very handy. And it's an example of why Linode's pricing structure makes this kind of stuff really super simple. They're often 35 to 50% less than the major cloud providers like AWS or Azure, while still being faster, better tools, a cleaner, much, much, much cleaner design. And they're independently owned. And they have been since 2003. Years ago, they became their own ISP, and now they have 11 data centers around the world, super fast interlinks between them, 40 gigabit connections coming to the hypervisors, crazy fast native SSDs on the machines. It's great. And they back it all up with fantastic customer service, so you're not going to get stranded. You're not going to get stuck. They're going to work with you by phone, by ticket, by email, whatever is best for you. Linode's committed to making that happen, and they're dedicated to offering the best virtualized cloud computing. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. So go try them out. See what I've been talking about at linode.com slash coder. Now let's get into just a few more emails because, uh, you know, we get we get some feedback from time to time. I actually thought we would get roasted for the hate we uh, tossed Android last week because I, I was intentionally being a little incendiary and I didn't really get it. I guess maybe we've scared all those people away. But Jacob wrote in and said, the Mac is garbage. When I started my career over a decade ago, I was developing on an employer-provided MacBook. About two years ago, I switched to developing exclusively in a Linux environment, usually Kubuntu. My current work recently switched the entire organization to MacBook-only hardware. And coming back to macOS, after almost a decade of Linux, it feels like the desktop envi- environment has just stagnated full 
stop. Multi-monitor support is minimal at best. You still can't span a window across multiple monitors or even disable a monitor from within the OS. After comparing how capable and stable Plasma was for me to the child's toy that macOS desktop environment seems to be, well, it seems like macOS has just become an afterthought for Apple when compared to how iOS has advanced over the years. And I know here's a hot take with the M1 chip, but I won't be surprised if we just see a unification of iOS and macOS in the next decade now that it's all on one platform. My thoughts, Jacob. It's a kid-like desktop environment. It's definitely dated, right? It's obvious that they're... We can't really say they're holding back because on the hardware side, like the M1 is a true achievement. But it's obvious that they have something big planned for the next, let's say, three to four years. And, you know, with... uh, They still call it Catalyst. No, they gave it a real name, right? Combine? (laughs) No, it's not that, but I like that. That's just, that is what it should be called. The mulch? The mulch, whatever. (laughs) It's, it's they're going somewhere and they're not ready to go there yet. And And it... may well be like a hybrid OS. I find this conversation silly because I just think Apple has said it clearly. Mac OS for the Mac machines and iOS, and then they'll share the fundamentals. A lot of the fundamental uh, APIs they're going to share, a lot of the fundamental uh, tech stack they're going to share, and now a lot of the fundamental hardware architecture. But they're going to have a separate desktop and OS for a mouse and keyboard-driven interface versus uh, an iOS-driven one. And this reality cannot ever change until you see full-fledged Xcode on iOS, because otherwise you're always going to need a Mac. I also challenge Jacob here, and I don't know how much I have to virtue signal about how much I love Linux and how long I've used it and the fact that I've hosted podcasts about Linux for 14 years. I don't know if I need to virtue signal all that first, but I find this complete bullshit that the Mac has stagnated. And I'm not Apple's number one defender when it comes to a Mac environment, but you know, it strikes me that a couple of releases ago, they completely rewrote their desktop render from OpenGL to Metal, completely rewrote the whole damn thing and shipped it within one release cycle. Meanwhile, Wayland has taken like 12 years to even get to the stage it's at right now. So, you know, they can actually ship when they need to ship. And then the other thing that I think is pretty remarkable about Apple, that you're still seeing the Linux space flail around like a bunch of idiots that don't know the value of a decent modern file system, is Apple managed to deploy and ship APFS within a super respectable time window. And not only that, but they managed to convert both their mobile and their desktop user base. And you never heard about mass reports of data loss. I'd like to see a Linux distro pull that off. And meanwhile, they're struggling to figure out if they should even ship ButterFS or ZFS. It's a total joke because their file system is just completely something out of the 80s now. And Apple has completely successfully rolled those things out. And honestly, that's just scratching the surface. That's not even bringing in the stuff that they've done security-wise that I actually think has held up pretty well over the years. I mean, you can bitch and moan about Gatekeeper all you want, but the implementation seems pretty solid. And the one thing they haven't done, which everybody said they would, even now that they've gone to the M1 platform, is they haven't locked that sucker down. You can still turn Gatekeeper off. You can still right-click open and say, yeah, I know it's not safe. I want to do it anyways. They've still left all of the sideloading style ways to get software on a Mac while bringing default security that is obvious and just works for end users that they don't have to think about. And I don't really see that in Linux because they're too busy fighting over snaps and flat packs and if things should even be sandboxed in the first place. Not to even mention there's no monetization strategy for people that are creating third-party applications for the desktop, and at least people can make money on the Mac and have been doing so for 10, 20 years. And I, I don't think any of that stuff should just be tossed away because Plasma lets you define your monitors better. And then on the monitors angle, I will say this. Let me see the Linux box that can currently do what my MacBook is doing, because I thought, let's give this a go. GNOME 40, it sure is a hell of a lot like the Mac now with its horizontal layout, but let's see how the Mac handles four different resolution monitors and different types of arrangements and rotations and at different refresh rates and some that are HDR and some that aren't. Let's see how the Mac handles that. Well, surprise, surprise, it handles it about 100 times better than Linux does. And while Plasma is the one exception that handles it just fine, GNOME Shell, even GNOME Shell 40, and all the other Linux desktop environments lose their crap every time my system reboots or goes to sleep, and all of my monitors and all of their rotations are completely screwed up. Hasn't happened once on the Mac yet. So I don't know what you're saying, Jacob, because to me it seems like multi-monitor is still a mixed bag unless you have one precarious special setup with a special right kind of video card and the right graphics card with the right desktop environment. So that's, I just, I, the thing is, I think we have to acknowledge where it's weak 
to, to acknowledge that it needs improvement and then to appreciate the fact why people are not switching over to it and to appreciate the fact why the advantages of the M1 with a desktop operating system that solved all of the above issues that I just named right off the top of my f***ing head, then I think it's worth considering these problems so that way we can fix them and make this more appealing to people who would actually create software that makes it more usable. And until we get all those things fixed and checked off, the Mac is still a viable platform that has done plenty of progress, and we shouldn't discount that. And by the way, that's not even getting all the advances Windows has done recently with WSL and Windows 10 and the improvements they've done there. I mean, like, more than ever, Linux really needs to get its game up. And I, I think some distributions like Fedora 34 are doing a fantastic job of it. I got a little excited there. I apologize. You did. I would say, like, if I were, like, a true Linux advocate, I would be less concerned with the Mac except on the, like, hey, you know, M1 battery life is amazing. And more concerned with the pace at which Windows is getting good at doing the Linuxy stuff is pretty quick. Yeah. And they seem to be partnering with Canonical and the good folks at SUSE and basically whoever the hell will take their call. And I don't know, like, we're still talking about file systems. And, like, I think this whole Snap versus Flatpak thing is a waste of time. But that's because I have strong and well-documented opinions on monetization on desktop Linux. I don't know. I guess if you're if you're worried about eroding desktop Linux market share, I would be worried about Windows 10. And, you know, it, that that whole me getting worked up on my soapbox didn't even get into is the development options that are available and the lack of a coherent development story around the Linux desktop, unless maybe you go to a distro like elementary OS. Well, Ubuntu is trying to do Flutter, right? But that's a very new, very, it was just announced like a month ago. For their future applications. Right. And that would be the blessed uh, development platform. But I, you know, can I throw in a story that we missed? Yeah. Um, InfoWorld, which not one of my favorite sources <laughs> for reasons that we can discuss a different day, has a article on the decline of Heroku. Do you remember Heroku? Oh, yeah. It was a very beautiful, easy deployment thing if you just knew Git and Ruby. It caught my eye because they're now owned by Salesforce. And I actually personally like Heroku, but it, things like Doku exist and the pricing structure is just a, a little nuts if you know how to do anything with like Docker or frankly, just run a server. Mm -hmm. So one of the co-founders, none of the founders are at Heroku anymore. When Adam Jacob writes on Twitter, Heroku is like a fallen civilization of elves, beautiful, immortal, beloved by all who encountered it, but still a dead end. Oh, that's such a sick burn. You burn. <laughs> now I'm waiting for the Python trolls to write me in. Isn't that kind of like Ruby? Beautiful, but uh, can't do half the stuff Python can do. The snake wins again. The snake, you know what? The snake always wins. So um, before I completely close out on my whole rant about my concerns about the Linux desktop, uh, I say go check out linuxunplugged.com slash 399. I think I may have mentioned this on the show, but I interviewed the Lutris developer, and he shared his perspective on a lot of uncomfortable issues facing Linux desktop software development still. You know, it was, it was an interview I was expecting to go a different direction, and that's the direction it went. And I think it tells you a lot of what people are struggling, struggling with from a developer's perspective who are trying to write software for Linux desktop, not to even mention some of the other basics to make it a decent workstation still. And I, I absolutely think, you know, if you get the right setup and if you know what you're doing, like, you know, you buy from somebody who makes something that works or you know how to get it all assembled, it's going to work just fine. You're going to have a good experience. You're going to have a very powerful workstation. Um, I think all that's true, but its I don't think it's fair to say that the other platforms don't have it going on. Um, last but not least, uh, Adrian says that uh, I, too, have stopped playing with my Android ROMs for quite a while. I just used to tinker all the time, but now, honestly, I've been running stock Android since the Pixel line. And uh, he says there isn't really much keeping on Android, but iOS doesn't even have a file manager yet. So you see, geeks do care about this stuff. They do. They do care about that nitty-ditty, gritty stuff like file systems and file managers. And yes, it does. It does have a file system and a file manager. You just can't do much with it because it's typical Apple. <laughs> it's just very broken. I'm impressed how many apps can integrate with it, but it's not really a file browser for just like the iPad file system. No. No, it is not. <laughs>
System76.com. They are systems that are born to run Linux over there, and our friends had a special note they wanted me to pass along. This is my prop piece of paper that I have today, and I am just milking it. But on this piece of prop paper, I have this supposed theoretical note that they have a few things going on. But the thing that I thought I should let you know about is that new keyboard that's probably going to be your new keyboard is nigh. We've talked about the System76 launch before, and now we're starting to get some real hints about the launch and what it's going to look like. It looks like it's going to be a clean milled chassis with individually addressable RGB LED backlights, which I think is great, hot swap sockets, and a really simple layout to manage everything for like lighting or uh, custom key, key bindings and combinations that will be saved to firmware. Love that because that means it's going to be persistent between different OS loads and distributions. And they're going to also ship a System76 keyboard configurator. And of course, the design and the firmware will be open source. They're starting to tease it right now. We don't have like exact images, but since it's all open source, you can actually see some of the renderings up on their GitHub page. So go to system76.com to see the progress on that. And while you're there, go check out the new Thaleo. I think it's Mira. Mira, yeah. This the one. That's the one, Mike. Like that thing is the perfect size Thaleo for me. Like if I was like, going to get a Thaleo, that's the one. And it does Ryzen CPUs, 128 gigabytes of RAM, and they've meticulously engineered, they tell me, the cooling system now on that thing. And they have this awesome, like, exploded diagram of it. <laughs> I can't imagine why they did that. It's so rad now. You should go to the go to the page of the Thaleo and look at their exploded diagram of how they assemble it. It's modular. It's, it's rad. I mean, they really did meticulously engineer it. They've really gone all in on it. Not to mention, it's just like one of the best-looking desktop lines out there. Ever built. I mean, they are handcrafted in Denver, right here in the United States, but uh, they just look so cool. So go to system76.com to see it all. And if you buy something, leave them a note saying the Coda program sent you. Longtime friends of the program. And I just love working with them because I think they have, they've really nailed this, this. And this is a problem that Mike and I talk about all the time. And System76 has a solution for you. It's systems born to run Linux at system76.com. Did you see this news that Apple admitted that it keeps iMessage off Android for competitive reasons completely. Well, of course. What other? I mean, duh. Okay. I see. Okay. Okay. I thought that might be your take, and I kind of want. So I thought maybe you should take that side of it because I think this is. Man, I hate to see this because it's it's one of these things that tricks consumers. They don't appreciate the ramifications of getting kind of locked into the iMessage ecosystem. I don't think average users get it, and the key argument that Apple has is that here is that simply. Hoarding it over would be uh, – it would make it easier. The reason they don't want to do it – check this out. This is like actually – these are in court filings for the Epic case that came out – is because it would make it easier for parents to put kids on Android. That's they think would be the biggest loss. That makes a ton of sense to me, right? Because iPhones are expensive and kids are stupid and break things. Yeah. That's why they should let parents do that. Not to mention family members. They even had something in-house going for a little while. Eddie Q said in 2013 – There were plans to make iMessage for Android that would be fully cross-compatible with the iOS platform and that users of both platforms would be able to exchange messages seamlessly with each other. That's a direct quote from Eddie Q. Then later on, in a deposition, Craig Federici said, iMessage on Android would simply serve to remove an obstacle to iPhone families giving their kids Android phones. And then Phil Schiller in an email said, uh, when an email I wrote in said, hey, iMessage is like the number one reason I can't leave the iPhone, why won't you put this on Android? Phil Schiller wrote back, moving iMessage to Android will hurt us more than it will help us. This email illustrates why. So they got Craig, Eddie, and Phil. All right, this is where Mike becomes evil. I don't understand why this is getting the play that it's getting. Well, it's it's them admitting to monopolistic behavior in one sense, admitting that this creates lock-in and then... How? How is it admitting to monopolistic behavior? If you if you have a product or I guess this is a service, right? Why would you let your chief competitor interrupt with it if that only serves to lose you customers? I think you only could really make the argument that they should when and if they are of such a market size that it becomes it makes it impossible for anybody else to exist in the market, which I don't think they are that size. Right. And there's tons of messaging services now. And so it would be different if you couldn't SMS message an iPhone. 
right? If it was like it's iMessage, like believe it or not, the next old next machines were like this. You could only email a, a fellow next user, which <laughs> amazing. So they learned their lesson, but <laughs> it's, I don't, I don't see this as a big problem. Like I have taken a look for, you know, because my son decided to smash my phone during FaceTiming grandma because that's what we do. Oh man. And I did not get the accidental damage because that's what I do. You self-insured. <laughs> yeah, that's not not good with health insurance either. <laughs> no, but that's how you make it sound like it's not a total like uh financial catastrophe. It's, oh no, I just self-insured. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm selling the iMac Pro if I can find any fool willing to buy it. <laughs> I'm actually was looking at a mirror, believe it or not. One of my chief reasons for being on iMessage is kind of gone, right? But I was not impressed. Even I what is it, the Samsung 21 or something? The, yeah, that the Verizon guy was like drooling over. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, but what does it get me over the iPhone? He's like, it's two hundred dollars cheaper. I said, ah. He said, but if you get your if you're getting a plan, then they're both like the same price. And that's if you don't even care about the privacy ramifications of like having all of your stuff backed up to Google servers versus Apple servers. And all right, and I do have like like concerns about that because I'm even strongly considering every quarter moving my business off of google right it's just the um that's where you want to talk about lock-in that's painful that google app sauce is that what you're talking about that google really google drive yeah yeah that's yeah i'm i'm hooked on i'm i'm hooked on the mail i'm hooked on it man yeah it's that's that's tough so i don't know i i, I mean i what's your angle on this because i think this is like the biggest no story ever I mean, there's absolutely a part of me that would love it to just be like a, like an open spec. Like if they would have open sourced FaceTime, like WebOS. Well, remember when Jobs is up on stage and he introduced FaceTime and he said, "And we're, tomorrow we're going to the standards bodies and we're going to open source it." And then, of course, that never happened. Apple got sued. Apple had to rearchitect FaceTime. And uh, I just I imagine this virtual parallel alternative. What whatever you'll have it reality where Apple actually followed through and a lot of the stuff like iMessage and FaceTime and and AirPlay is all open source standards that anybody could implement and so the Apple ecosystem would just go so much further beyond just iOS devices and Apple devices, but that reality never panned out and um I you're right I can't come up with a good justification as to why they should give their competitors something that makes their platform special. Um, And I think if Google had played their cards right, they would absolutely love to be in the same position that Apple is with iMessage. Uh, I don't think they'd do anything differently themselves. And now because they're in the underdog position, they'll push for standards like RCS and perhaps improve the situation for people that aren't on iMessage that are communicating with iMessage people. Because it sucks. You know, I'm I'm in a couple of family group chats and... um, the Android users stink stink the chat up. They really do. It's like they don't they they don't support tap 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 back for uh, for like just quick replies to comments. They often embed images weird. They'll they don't support the same reply inline stuff that iMessage does. It's a uh, they crap up the chat. So I was like, oh, yep. There's a uh, you know cousin Jimmy using the Android device, messing up the whole group chat now. So it'd be nice if I didn't have that experience, but I just can't. I cannot. I cannot come up with the compelling argument with the market realities that we have and the market share realities that, that that we have as to why Apple should. See, I almost feel like the the sexier story to come so far out of the Epic IBM. Uh, IBM oh my god! Uh, oh, the Apple would not like that. The Epic Apple lawsuit is just how premeditated. Apple is at controlling their app store, which I guess we knew. Yeah. But what I didn't know is how long Epic was planning to do what they did. Yeah. So that's the other side of this that's come out is that Epic was playing a bit of a long game themselves and even even hired a firm. Yeah. 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 So according to Apple, I, uh, Epic hired a PR firm in 2019 to work a media strategy called Project Liberty aimed at portraying Apple as the bad guy, which is probably where that video that came from, that, that 1984 mocking video that they had just right away. Yeah. Um, and that they were preparing for this all along and that they knew this they were going to run a risk with Apple and that they were just kind of getting their ducks in a line. And this is some of their example that it's premeditated. And that's where we're at right now, right? Epic doesn't have to prove that Apple's a monopoly. Epic just has to make a case that Apple has 
monopoly-like behavior, and it's a pattern of hate behavior that would suggest that. Just like Apple is going to try to make the case that Epic had a pattern of behavior of preparing for this, about specifically trying to violate Apple's policies. And Apple actually kind of has a solid argument here. First of all, they point out that Epic Games earned more than $700 million in revenue from the iOS App Store and that Fortnite is distributed on other platforms that take even more commission than they do that have the same limitations that the iOS App Store does in terms of having your own built-in App Store. And they say they can't really be a monopoly like Epic is calling them because they're not a leader in the gaming market. They really are not super strong in gaming. And so they're not acting like a monopoly in the games, the gaming market because they're simply not one. They wish they were more established in the gaming market. They say Epic's monopoly maintenance claim is premised on the notion that the antitrust laws preclude Apple from imposing conditions on licensed use of its intellectual property and impose on Apple a duty to deal with Epic on the terms of preferred by Epic to the determinant of other developers and consumers alike. Uh, I don't know. Uh, if you were going to make a call on this one right now, which way would you call it? Apple or Epic? Who I think is going to win? Mm-hmm. Apple. I do too. I listened in on one of the live streams of the court preparing to hear the in-person trials. And they were doing this test pilot of live streaming these uh, court sessions to the public because of COVID. You couldn't go to the courthouse to witness them if you wanted to. So they were live streaming them on YouTube. And I and about 20 other people <laughs> were watching this. And, and Apple's lawyers really had their shit together. And they really knew how to talk to the judge with respect. And Epic's lawyers seemed a little sloppy. They had to catch themselves like, like a couple of times, didn't refer to the judge properly. But additionally, Apple's lawyers and legal team were pushing to do this in person, in court. And Epic's legal team had been pushing to do it all remote over Zoom. And Apple made this case for why why that would be more advantageous to Epic. And I think the judge went with it. And the judge ruled that they have to do these, these in person in the court. They can have some remote testimony over video if, if need be. But they're going to proceed with the in-person trial. And just listening to like that planning session for the court case, it really felt like Apple was very confident. I mean, we're not lawyers, right? But Apple doesn't have to prove anything, right? Apple can say... Epic has to prove that they're a monopoly, which they're really not, by the way it's defined, right? Listen to Kara Swisher if you ever want a detailed explanation as to why that is, um, or any of the, uh, really, The Verge or any, any place like that. And the other thing is, Apple does have a contract with every developer, right? That's the developer agreement, which Epic was very obviously in breach of. Yeah. So what Epic has to say is, Yes, we breached this contract, but the contract was Ill illegal because they're a monopoly. Well, that's that's a big lift. I mean, I could see a world where for however much money Epic screwed them out of uh, in terms of the 30% cut or whatever number the cut should have been, because uh, I'm not sure if Epic is at 30 or 15%. Epic may end up paying them damages back, right? It seems like, like both things are true, right? Apple is going to face some sort of regulation for the app store and it's just going to be industry-wide but they're also going to defeat epic in this case so also i think it's worth remembering that google also kicked fortnite out for doing these the, these these actions so um it is it's complicated for epic in that regard and they're only choosing to go after apple because they think that's the case they can win but google kind of did apple a favor by going along with Apple and kicking them out afterwards. And um, I think what regulation does come down is going to be a much lighter hand than it would have been a couple of years ago. And Apple is already making the argument that, look, we've done nothing but lower the rates in the App Store. Yep. We've only lowered the price. And now developers that make less than a million dollars have even gotten a bigger break, which is, by the way, they'll say, the majority of developers in the App Store. And, and if you if you listen to that interview with uh, Kara Swisher and Tim Cook, he went out of his way to say, I'd even let Parler back in, which, you know, I'm sure he's no fan of Parler, right? But Which is not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, but why? He's defending his flank to say, we don't pick and choose based on whether we like the people. Right. It's we have our terms, you follow our terms, you can be in our store. Mazel, you know, Mazel tov, there you go. 
if you're really curious about this, or if you're like a little anti-Apple, read the emails that were disclosed uh, from the Epic side about them plotting this entire campaign. They do not come out, come off as freedom fighters here. Okay, now let's hit the pause button and uh, you know alternate reality mode here for a second. But think about all of the shit we have bitched about when it comes to the App Store and all of the clear ab- abuses of power that Apple has clearly flexed over the years when it comes to independent develop- developers especially, even you. Wouldn't it kind of be nice for somebody to come along and punch them in the nose and get them to clean this act up and maybe even make it possible? Like, imagine just for a moment, Mike, for just a moment, if even one one outcome of this is that Apple was mandated to allow third-party payment processing. So you could use Stripe or something for subscriptions or whatever. It would be better for developers and users around the world. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be... They're not going to... I. It's not going to happen. I mean, this is alternative reality, though. It's not going to... I feel like I feel like that's the... That, right, but that's the red line for them. You know, like I, my my position on all of this app store stuff has mellowed out quite a bit, which is ironic because I think other people have become more militant as I'm kind of like, well. Well, I think what it is is you have resigned yourself to the reality while others are now getting their livelihood is now being da- endangered. And so now they're making a noise. Where I think DHH is just like utter shock with how the app store operates was yeah amazing, right? Well, they came for you first because honestly, like, you know, if they go for somebody like DHH, that's going to get a lot more attention, but they come for you. Like we bitch about it here on the podcast, right? But they, they still get away with it. Oh, but there, there are, there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of, of me, like, you know, relatively small software companies that, I mean, I, I should be fair. I currently do not sell any, unless I'm maybe publishing like the Fleet Week app for, for the Navy still, but I do not sell any of my own apps on the, uh, on the app store right now. I'm not saying I never would, but we've talked about this a million times. I don't want to rehash it too much, but like I constantly have this problem where I look at my iPad pro and I'm like, this is an incredible device that I would love to build software for. But then I look at the investment that would be required and I read the, you know, the annually updated uh, Apple developer, uh, you know, not just the human interface guidelines, but the actual rules and there's always like one or two that I'm like, eh, is this close? And there's, it's, it's getting better, right? They're liberalizing some where you can like ask them questions to a point, but it's, it's, it's a risk to invest all this capital and energy into developing something on a platform where they can just say no. You nailed it. That's exactly what the situation is. And so that's why I just think like, imagine a world where third party payment or third party apps, some, you know, some sort of side loading. Like like it is on the Mac with Gatekeeper, you could still have where developers, they they um what, what's it called what's it called on the Mac when you sign it notarization yeah no yeah you why couldn't they just use the notarization system that they have for the Mac on the iPhone obviously not by default right then they're trying to get a cut right mm-hmm. yeah 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 I, I just uh, I know we should leave alternate reality world because it's just a, it's it's just a waste of energy but. I acknowledge that I think Apple's going to win this thing, and I think Apple has the stronger case, and I think Epic is, from all all evidence we can see at this point in the public, is likely in the wrong here. They, they, they knew the rules. But man, man, oh man, if I could just have them win this so that way some of these things could be improved, I think it would address the primary issues people really have with the iOS platform. Well, the, the stronger case, and where I think we'll actually see some sort of regulation, and then we should jump off of this, is basically the Spotify case. Oh, yeah. Right, and Apple's already backed down quite a bit on that because Apple is both the platform vendor and a direct application competitor. Apple does not make, nor please should you try, any video games right so they are not you know they're just as as far as epic is concerned they are indeed a store and if you know anything about how selling software used to work the deal with apple is far better datadog.com slash coder radio now let's let's talk about datadog this is a tool you should be using to help visualize your infrastructure analyze code level performance across your entire environment and troubleshoot issues faster than ever with Datadog and communicate them with their beautiful dashboards. Go look at their dashboards. Go look at them. Datadog.com slash Radio just to go see these things. And Datadog has this feature called Continuous Profiler. It automatically collects all the metrics from 
all the places, your applications, your servers, your servers in production, your servers in testing, like you can make it all clear and delineated. And then you can analyze data and results quickly with minimal overhead and get a unified picture of your environment by correlating code performance metrics with other monitoring data across your entire infrastructure in these real-time dashboards. They have tightly integrated plugins for other applications or APIs that you can use and tracing and log management that makes it really easy to parse through all this stuff and get the information in the logs super quick. And then you bring that continuous profiler in, it's all in one platform. You bring it all together. It enables you to pinpoint the root cause of issues faster than ever. Save time, save money, and communicate better. And try Datadog's products for free for 14 days by visiting datadog.com slash coderadio. And for a limited time, if you start a trial and create one dashboard, you'll get a free Datadog t-shirt, free swag. You just got to go to datadog.com slash coderadio. What do you think about talking a, a little history here on the show? Uh, you know COBOL. We all know COBOL, the common business-oriented language. It's been around since 1959 in one form or another, so clearly older than I. And it's actually just recently got a little bit of love from IBM. IBM has released version 1.1 of their COBOL suite of tools for Linux and the x86 environment. And they talk about it, uh, like maintaining interoperability between some of their large mainframe platforms too. Legacy software never dies. It never dies. In fact, this sent me down a whole, a whole rabbit hole. I was I, I was actually kind of really getting into this for a bit because you know Cobol, it's it runs so much, almost like still almost all of the major ATM networks run Cobol. Tons of government systems still run Cobol. Uh, for you, it was news for a little while. A lot of the COVID nineteen uh, cases and deaths, and you know, uh, positives and negatives, and all of that, is being tallied on systems where the code is written in COBOL today. Oh yes, it's still getting actively used, right? Uh, and th- it just blows my mind that this thing's been around since fifty nine and is still. You can still get jobs for it, and it's it's just been recently updated and ported to Linux for the x eighty six environment, and with with new features added just like last week. <laughs> just nuts. I mean, I'm pretty sure uh, the Florida unemployment system is written in COBOL because they famously couldn't find vendors to to help them. Maybe it was Fortran, but yeah. Well, so this is the trick now, right? Is it's becoming it's becoming a lack of developers to fulfill IBM's long, long promise of like these these large systems, like the System 360 that launched in 1964. IBM pitched it as a promise of if you develop software for this today in 1964. You will run it in 40 years. And they did actually deliver on that. I found this awesome clip that IBM made a few years ago. I think like back in 2004 even. They made this this hilarious cheesy video about how how awesome their mainframes are for inclusion into the Computer History Museum. And I just grabbed like a moment of it for us. You know, the 360 and the mainframe didn't just revolutionize the IT industry. With the 360, the modern software era was born. You, you, you didn't have packaged software before the 360. Uh, computers enabled NASA to land a man on the moon in 1969. Uh, the modern financial services industry was built around the mainframe. And even today's airline reservation systems have antecedents going all the way back to the 1960s. We've done a lot of things based on 360 technology. Some of the programs we originally created back in 65 are still running today. The mainframe is here to stay. It's a technology we we all grew up with and we know, we're comfortable with. If I look at all the different technologies out there and what we can achieve and what we have achieved on the mainframe, it's the most reliable technology that we have today. Yeah, it's here to stay. Here to stay. That was pretty good. And then I got one more really short one. This is IBM's technology chief back in 2004 on the 40th anniversary of the launch of the IBM System 360, talking about how long-term compatibility was a key promise of what IBM was delivering. And, of course, they, they delivered some of that using, of course, COBOL. As I look back on those days, while the making of a revolutionary product was one thing, what was huge was that System 360 was a platform for genuine innovation. It was a defining moment in the information technology industry. 
you could say that the System 360 was innovating by anticipating the future, an information technology platform that would be compatible with systems yet to come. IBM made the promise then of computing that's always there, computing that offers what our industry has affectionately come to call the illities, availability, scalability, reliability, adaptability, flexibility, manageability. And the System 360 family was the foundation of those promises. Promises IBM still extends today. If they can find developers for it. So maybe it's time to go write COBOL kids because <laughs> they're still looking for people to write applications. <laughs> it gives me hope. We have one last email, but maybe we should save this for the Coderly. Let's save it. A bonus Coderly email? Yeah, that'd be kind of you know, that'd be kind of fun. We haven't done an email in the Coderly before. No. So that is uh, recorded every quarter, and we release that for our members. It's a way to support the show. We have a, a membership program at CoderQA.co, and you become a member, and you support the show. You get a limited ad feed as a thank you, and that Coder Quarterly Report. Did I say that right? Anyways, we're recording one very soon. Very, very soon. So it'll be in your members' feed in just a few short days. So if you're not a member yet, you can sign up now at coderqa.co, and then you'll get that when we release it. And we thank everybody who is a member. Go get yourself some Mike on Twitter. He's at Dumanuku, and his company's at the Mad Botter Inc. over there. Anything you want to plug this week, Mr. Dominic? Uh, no, if you need any Python or, dare I say, Objective-C development done, let me know. There you go. Nice. I'm at Chris Lass on the Twitter. The podcast network is at Jupiter Signal, and the show itself is at Coda Radio Show. Links to the, some of the things we talked about today and that entire video for that IBM mainframe uh, party at the Computer History Museum, that's linked in the show notes, too. That's at coder.show slash 409. you also find our contact form over there, as well as our RSS feed. And I'd encourage you, I'd personally like to invite you to join us to the to the live stream at the Coder Happy Hour. The live stream. Coder Happy Hour live stream. Monday, 5 p.m., 8 p.m. Pacific at jblive.tv. Did you get it? It's a live stream. And you're invited. It's the, Cody ha it's the Coder Happy Hour live stream. I'm going to get it right. And I would like you to be there. It's the Coder Radio Happy Hour live stream. I got it. Now you got to go because I worked so hard for it. Uh, or, or just download. See you next week.